Hallelujah, Jesus. There is a spirit of joy in this place tonight. Can you feel it? There is a spirit of joy. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Tomorrow night, I'm going to work with the gift of faith. And there will be a lot of people that will be divinely healed. But tonight, I want to work with the spirit that is here. We are Pentecostals. We are. And we do a lot of things that other people do not do in church. We do. I sang with you, but I also watched you tonight out the corner of my eye. Some of you were jumping up and down in between the pews. <clears throat> a little more and you'd have been running around the sanctuary. Others were clapping and laughing, shaking a hand. You watched the young man sing this special tonight. Just a little bit more and he'd have gone berserk in front of all of you. Because it was in him. You could, you could feel it. <laughs> yeah, we really do. We really like it. But have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why we act like this when we come to church? Have you ever wondered why we as Pentecostals worship God the way we do? The Baptists don't act like this. The Methodists don't act like this. And the Catholics definitely don't act like this. But we do. Why? Why do we worship this way? I want to discuss it with you tonight. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, and verse 11, here is an admonition. It's an admonition from the Apostle Paul. The book of Romans is written to the church in Rome. It's a Gentile church. Rome was a Gentile city. Totally different than Jerusalem. Totally different. Here in this epistle or letter written by Paul to the church in Rome, he said, as a Jew, he said this. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. In other words, he's admonishing Gentiles specifically to praise the Lord. And he said, and laud him, all ye people. So admonition. In the book of Hebrews, there is another statement. There are many, but these two I have chosen. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 15, here again, the apostle is writing and he says in Hebrews 13 and 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. The word sacrifice is a Jewish word, a Hebrew word. Within the word sacrifice, there are many, many facets of meaning and actions. For example, to offer a sacrifice meant the gathering of rocks and stones, the placement of the stones, the gathering of wood, the bringing of an animal, the killing of an animal, the tying of an animal, the lifting of an animal, the building of a fire, the consuming of the sacrifice. There are a lot of things involved in this word sacrifice. And here the apostle is saying, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice. Say sacrifice again. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise. In other words, work. The sacrifice of praise to God continually. Not just here and there, but 
continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. The admonition was to worship God continually, to laud him, to praise him, all ye Gentiles. In common everyday vernacular, the apostle was saying, get with it, is what he was saying. He was really saying, get with the program. What he was saying is, now that you have found out about this and you are redeemed by the hand of the God, get with it. That's what he was saying. In everyday common vernacular, that's what he was saying. And I want to talk to you tonight about why do I worship this way. Would you lift your hands, your heart, your soul for just a moment, and would you begin to praise the Lord with me? Lord Jesus, tonight we thank you for the wonderful touch of God that is in this place. May the blessing of the Lord that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow come down upon us as a congregation. Touch us individually and conglomerately tonight. We have gathered together in this place in the matchless name of Jesus. And because you are here tonight, anything can happen. Will you, by the power of your resurrection, by the great and the glorious auspices of the eternal power and omnipotence of God, will you do something for us tonight that will be indelibly ingrained upon the tissues and the fibers of our minds and our hearts? May we never be the same. We worship you, O Master of the universe. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever. Anoint these lips of clay and cause me to speak as the oracle of the Lord. We will not fail to praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. Would you clap for the Lord for just a moment? And would you worship him with your voice? Because it is written, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. This is the will of God. It is an admonition from the Holy Writ itself. Hallelujah, Jesus. Inscribed, inspired by the omnipotence of the eternal spirit of Almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus. If, if you are a student of the Bible, if you study the Word of God, when you open the cover of the Bible, it will bring you into the presence of the Lord. And to read from its pages is to hear from God Himself. And as you begin to read in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, you do not read very far until you become acutely aware of the fact that God himself was not content to abide in eternity alone. He was not. God wanted to give, but it is impossible to give unless there is a recipient of the giving. There is no way to give to anyone or give anything unless they exist there to receive. So God thought and he thought and he thought and he thought until he thought. I will create and God by what we know to be Rima, by the spoken word of himself began to speak into existence 
everything that now is. He stepped out on space and commanded the universe to appear, commanded the stars, the sun, the moon, commanded the earth to suddenly appear. But he kept on commanding, and the mountains bulged up, and the valleys sunk, and the water appeared, and the seas covered the earth, etc., etc., etc. He created the flora and the fauna, and yet he was not content to watch animals roam through the forest. Neither was he content, nor was he fulfilled to watch the eagle soar in the sky. He was not content. He was not content to know that in the oceans great fishes swam. He was not content with all of this movement because it was not the kind of movement that could bring any kind of fulfillment to himself. Again, he thought, I will make me a man. And God did something with mankind that he did not do with anything else that he created. He spoke everything into existence. But when it came to man, he himself, as it were, bent low over the dust of the earth, shaped man into his own image and likeness, and then bent even lower over it and breathed into this lump of clay the breath of life. And it is written, man became a living soul. People, it must have been something when the eyes of this ex-clay figure suddenly flooded open and looked into the face of the Creator. And Adam heard the voice of God, and it said, You are a man. You are my supreme creation. And he named him Adam. He did not leave Adam alone. Eve came on the scene. And God was not content just to allow them to exist. The Bible says that God placed them in a garden. And God walked with them in the cool of the evening. That should tell you a great deal about God right there. Just that much should tell you a lot about him. He wasn't content to walk with them only either. Evidently, he gave them a language. They didn't learn it like our children learn to speak from us. He gave them a language so he could talk with them. Not only did he want to walk with them, he wanted to talk with them. He wanted to communicate with his creation. And so he walked and talked with them in the cool of the evening. He drew near to them. But the unusual thing about Adam and Eve was this, that in the animal world, the animal world does not have a will. They have instinct. They live, move, operate by instinct. But to mankind, he gave him a will, the power of choice. He gave him a sovereign power, and God treats your will, and he treats my will as a sovereign. He will not transgress your will. He will invite you. He will woo you. But he will not force you, ever. So Adam and Eve had the power of choice. And we know that they chose the wrong choice. And as a result, man was driven from the garden. And mankind fell. They ceased from being Godkind and became mankind. The pitiful situation in our hour is that man has sunk from mankindness, and he's becoming devil kind. But there is a restoration factor. 
There's something called speaking with tongues. There is this power of the Holy Ghost that restores man, at least in part. But when I see him, I shall be totally restored as they were in the beginning. I shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I shall rise to meet him. Let's clap again and worship the Lord for just a moment. We know that Cain slew Abel, but there was always a righteous line. Seth came on the scene. God continued to deal with mankind, but man made his own power of choice. God became so involved with one man whose name was Enoch. Enoch evidently got more heavenly minded and drew nearer to heaven than he did to earth. And God obviously could not refrain himself from this human relationship with this man. And one day, he just scooped down and lifted him out of there and took him on the other side. The Bible says, Enoch was not, for God took him. He was gone. But God was not content with one over there. He wanted more, and he still wants more tonight. He is not content with this assembly, with this congregation. He wants more. He wants it to become bigger. He wants it to become greater. If you believe that, everyone say amen. Amen means it is so. <clears throat> Man chose of his own volition, his own free will, to reject the counsel of God, to reject the fellowship of God. And God continued to seek. And he almost gave up. He even, even repented that he'd even made man. And then he found Noah. He found Noah. And he had his family. And he lifted them in an ark above the water. And in the end result, eight souls were saved by water. But he was not content to have eight souls on the earth. The command was, be fruitful and multiply. Because God said, I want more fellowship, and I want more people in the kingdom, and I want more people to come over here in the end result. Basically, that's what he was saying, okay? God worked with it. He worked with humanity. He worked with humanity, and humanity, again, of his own power of will, choice, did that which was in opposition to the divine plan and will of God. God kept seeking, he kept looking, he kept searching until he finally found a Chaldean, a heathen and a pagan, whose name was Abram. And God drew near to this man whose name was Abram. And God got so involved with him, he went beyond any of the limits he had placed for himself prior to this. He began to say things to Abram like, if you will serve me, if you'll live for me, if you'll teach your children, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Would you like to hear that in Hebrew? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ehad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. God said to Abram, if you'll teach it, then I will bless you as the stars of the sky, as the sands of the seashore, so will your seed be without number. He said, if you'll just live for me, if you'll teach your children, and if they will teach their children and their children's children, then will all these blessings come upon you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And those that curse you, I will curse. And those that bless you, I will bless. Such was the relationship that 
God got himself involved with, with the man whose name was Abram. But God took it farther. He said, Abram, listen. Let's enter into a covenant, you and I. Let's get into a covenant together. I want to arrange a blood covenant with you. I want a business transaction. I want a legal, sealed, documented arrangement between me and you. It's incredible. It's incredible to me. It's absolutely incredible to me. It's incredible. God said, I will impose upon you the right of circumcision and there will be shedding of blood. You bring a heifer for me and you say it and that'll be my blood and we will mingle this blood together and we will enter into a blood covenant relationship. And then he did something else that's astounding to me. He said, Abram, I'm going to change your name. In the Old Testament, there was no pronounceable name of God. Yahweh and Jehovah are all modern transliterations from translating from the original language to the English language. Those names were not pronounced and they were not used by the Jews. I know because I study Hebrew. I'm here to tell you tonight that in the Old Testament there was something called the Tetragrammaton. J-H-V-H, J-H-W-H. And God said to Abram, he said, listen, you take the H out of that tetragrammaton and we're going to hook it on the end of your name. I'm going to mingle my name with yours and I'll change your name from Abram to Abraham so that my name and your name will be together so that my family in the earth will be called by my name. No longer will you be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. He said, now you bring your wife. You bring your wife and we'll change her name also. And God mingled his name with the names of the family, of his earthly family in, in this world. People, it's incredible to me. God wants a people for his name's sake. He wants a people for his name's sake. He wants a people who are called by his name. That was a type and shadow of that which was going to come. And so Abram became Abraham, and he is called today, among all scholars and theologians, both Gentile and Jew, he is called the father of the faithful. Now, in the Old Testament, they were called Hebrews, but tonight we'll call them Jews. Makes more familiar to you. The Jews began then a format of worship, or we might say an approach unto God. I don't know how this all started. I don't know who did it first. I don't know if it was Abraham. I don't know if it was Isaac. I don't know if it was Jacob. I don't know if it was one of the children, one of the grandchildren. I don't know if it was Abraham himself. I only know that somewhere at some point when these Jews came together to worship, to venerate this creator, that one of them somewhere did something that is pronounced in the Hebrew language, shachah. Shahah meant to bow down in the presence of the Lord. It meant to kneel in his presence. In the strictest sense of the interpretation, it meant a genuflect. Somewhere, at some point in Jewish history, a Jew did this. He knelt in the presence of God, and the moment he did, he could feel the presence of God, and he determined that God liked this. And so he said, as long as God likes it, we're going to keep on doing it. He said, listen, brethren, he said, I found out something. God likes us to kneel in his presence. So the Jews began to kneel, or shahah, in the presence of the Lord. 
But they did not stop there. They continued to go on. They began to do something else, which was pronounced abdah. Abdah meant to prostrate oneself before Jehovah God. It meant to lay out on the sand, out on the floor, out, just lay out on the ground in worship and veneration and adoration of God. And somebody, he may have been tired, I don't know, too tired to stand up or whatever. He just laid out before God. But when he did it, the Spirit of God came across the framework of his being. And he could feel something. And he said, hey, folks, he likes this too. So we're going to keep this up. And they continued to do it. So now the Jews were coming into the presence of God. And they were kneeling in their worship services. And they were laying out on their faces. And God liked it. And those Jews said, we don't care what the Baptists think or the Lutherans think or the Catholics think or whoever was back there. He said, as long as God likes it, we're going to do it because he likes it. We don't care what the rest of them say. We have found out that God likes this. And as long as God likes it, uh, we're going to keep it going. Let's cup again just for a moment and worship the Lord. Uh, hallelujah. But they didn't stop there. They were building a platform. They were building an approach to God. They were laying a foundation of worship that would become eternal for all the ages. The Jews began to do something else. I like this. I really like this. It's pronounced sehida. Sehida meant to just fall out. Not even gracefully, just fall out. Just feel God and just fall out. And uh, so they were now kneeling, bowing. They were laying out and they were just falling out. And they determined that God liked it. And so they continued to do it. I wonder tonight, Pentecostal, what would happen across the framework of our fellowship if our people, every time they came through the doors, forgot about current events, cars, clothes, jobs, fights and fusses. I wonder what would happen if our people, when they came through the doors, would condition their minds and their souls to begin to think. I am about to enter into the house of God. I am about to meet him. I am about to see him in all of his glory. I wonder what would happen as we entered into the tabernacle of the Lord. If we began to kneel beside the pews. If we begin to lower ourselves to the floor. If we fell out along the aisle, along the wall. I wonder what would happen. I'll tell you what would happen. There'd be a move of God unlike anything we have ever known in the history of our existence. Something would begin to happen. Something would begin to happen that has never ever happened before. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Sahida, Sahida also meant to lower one's forehead to the ground. And the Jews would lower their foreheads to the ground in worship of this Creator, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are still doing it to this very hour. Ten days ago, I was in Israel at the Wailing Wall, and I watched Jews worship in the manner that I'm talking to you about here tonight. 
I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if we lost sight. If we didn't care what our friends thought. If we didn't care what people thought. But that we were so in love with Him. That we would come into the house of the Lord. And we would just begin to approach Him. And we would lower our heads. Our faces to the floor. And begin to love Him. And to worship Him. <laughs> Lift your hands for a moment and let your voice out in the presence of the Lord tonight. God is in this place. Ah, hallelujah, Jesus. Ah, hallelujah, Jesus. The Jew did not stop there. He's now kneeling. He's prostrating himself. He's falling out. He's lowering his forehead to the ground. And they find out that God likes it. And he likes it. And they incorporate it forever in their statutes of approach and worship of God. There's another word pronounced in the Hebrew language, avadoh. Avadoh meant to worship but it also meant to work. Avedah means to worship, but it also means to work. So to the Jew, it meant workship. But to God, it became worthship. In other words, they worked at their worship because he was worthy of it. So the Jew then did not come to church to sit around like a frog caught in the snowstorm in February. When a Jew came to church, he came to worship. He came with the express intent of working at his worship, approaching unto God. He came to do something. As long as he came and made the effort, he determined to do something in the house of the Lord. I have pastored three times in my ministry, and the first church I pastored was really rugged. About 20 people, most of them children. And they were somewhat discouraged, and they were somewhat depressed, whatever. Nothing much had ever happened. And I am a worshiper. I was born in the fire, and I cannot sit in the smoke. Something has got to happen for me every time I come to the house of God. Something has got to happen. Something has got to happen for me every time I come to the house of the Lord. So, I was a worshiper. I would raise my hands, close my eyes and sing and they would do nothing. And I used to say, let's raise our hands and praise the Lord. What a cursed thing that is. It ought to be in your heart automatically. You ought to do it automatically. Nobody encouraging you, nobody begging you, but just in your heart. You can hardly wait to get here. Just hardly wait to get here. To get your hands in the air. To get your voice in motion. To sing the songs of Zion. To draw near to Him. To feel Him. And I had one man come to me and he said he didn't like, he didn't like me. He did not like me. 
saying, let's all raise our hands. He didn't like it. And he let me know. He said, I don't feel him. I don't worship, brother, till I feel him. Let me tell you something. With an attitude like that, you may never feel him. You may never feel him. You may say here tonight, I'm unworthy to praise the Lord. That may be true. But don't ever forget this. No matter how unworthy you are, he is forever worthy of your praise. No matter how far down you are, no matter what you have done, no matter your weaknesses, no matter how unworthy you are, he is forever worthy of our praise. For he is great and he is greatly to be praised. And of his kingdom there shall never ever be an end. Hallelujah. I am determined. I am totally convinced. It is the will of God for us every time we come to church to work at our worship, whether we feel like it or not. I used to tell my people in the second church and the third church I pastored, I used to say to them when I get to church on Thursday night, I know you've worked all day. I know that you are tired, but maybe you're too tired to lift your arms in the air. But if you could just manage to prop your elbow up on the back of a pew, if you could just prop your elbow up, if you could just get your hand in the air, if you can find the strength to just wiggle a little finger, I've got this feeling that God will like it. I've got this feeling that God will like it. And some Something begins to happen in the presence of the Lord when you dare to worship Him, when you give unto Him with your body, with your voice. Something begins to happen. You can feel it right here. You can feel it right here, right now, tonight. You can feel something in the Spirit that gets a hold of you. Jesus has a power. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me tell you how it really is. Let me tell you how I really feel about this. I reshaved tonight, rewashed what hair I've got, put on fresh deodorant. I made an effort to get here. And as long as I made an effort to get here, I'm going to do something once I've gotten here. I have come to worship. I've come to do something. I've come. I've come to lift my hands. Give me some more volume. Some more volume. I've come to lift my hands. I've come to worship him. I've come to sing. I've come to shout. I've come to run. I've come to dance. Because he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. How about praise? Hallelujah. As long as we have made the effort to get here, then we need to do something with our hands, with our energy, with our voices. We need to do something to let him know that we love him, that we care about him, who has cared so much for all of us. In fact, 
My deodorant is beginning to melt right now. The stuff's beginning to melt right now. I can feel it going. It doesn't make any difference to me. I have come to this place to lift him up, to give praise to him, to worship him who is in us all, through us all, above us all, whose name is Jesus, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace of his kingdom. There shall never, ever be an end of his kingdom. There shall never, ever be an end. There will never be an end to this. There will never be an end to this. Never. It will go on and on and on in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I found a scripture. I have found this two places in the book of Psalms written by King David. In the book of Psalms, chapter 29, or verse, verse 1, the Bible says, King David wrote and said, Give unto the Lord. I can understand that. He said, Give unto the Lord. I understand that. He says, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory. I understand that. But then he says, given to the Lord glory and strength. How does one, how does a mortal give to an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God strength? How do we, how do we add anything to him? How can I add anything to God? But David said, do it. I'll tell you how to do it. When you begin to worship him 
it is written, the Spirit of the Lord inhabiteth the praises of His people. The Spirit of the Lord inhabiteth the praises of His people. And when you begin to praise the Lord like you've been doing, all of a sudden, you build a great big house of praise, and He will come and live in that house in a great big way. It is in atmospheres like this that suddenly blind eyes snap open. Suddenly deaf ears suddenly become unstopped. Suddenly legs grow. Suddenly backs straighten. Suddenly cancer disappears. Suddenly in the presence of the Lord as the people of God begin to worship because you build a house of praise for Him. And when you do, His Spirit inhabits those praises. And once you've got Him inhabited in the praises of His people, all of a sudden you've got a king. And when you've got a king, you've got a scepter. And when the scepter's lowered, you've got it. You can be healed in the presence of the Lord. Where Jesus is, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Anything can happen in the presence of the Lord. Worship. Worship. Real worship. Bible worship. Not traditional, not traditional activity, but Bible worship is the prerequisite to the miraculous. I'll tell you where you'll find God. He will charter a boat and he'll float down the tear on your cheek. You'll find him in a hand clap. You'll find him running in the aisles with us. He walked with Adam and Eve. He'll run the aisles with us. He'll talk in tongues with us. He will call out with us. He will kneel with us. He'll sing with us because we were created in his image. We were born to act like this. We were born to act like this. They are doing it in the world. They're they are doing it at bars tonight. They are doing it in houses of ill repute. They are doing it in concert halls. They are doing it in the theaters in New York City. They are doing it in ball games in Los Angeles. But let me tell you something. I was born to act like this. I was born to worship Him. I was born to give honor and glory and veneration and adoration to this Creator whose name we know to be Jesus of Nazareth. Hallelujah. If they can do it for the world, if they can do it for the world, then I will do something in the house of the Lord who has taken my sins away, who has given me a passport to glory. I've got my ticket, Brother Johnson. It is blood-bought. His name is stamped upon it. I'm on my way to glory. I'm at the exit gate. I'm waiting for my flight to be called. And one of these days I shall arise to meet him in the clouds of glory with a host of angels crying, Alleluia, 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 forever. the will of God. It's the will of God for us to work at it. No matter what anybody says. Forget him. Forget him. Work at it. Work at it till you touch him. Prop an elbow up. Fall out of the pew. But let's have a little action. Because he likes it. But the Jew didn't stop there. There was the word that was pronounced. 
Yada. Yada meant that when a Jew came to church, we'll call it church. When a Jew came to church, he would lift his hands in the presence of the Lord. When a Jew came into the presence of God, they still do it. They lifted their hands toward heaven with their palms outward. Solomon did it on bended knees at the dedication of his own temple. The Bible says he bent down, knelt, and spread his hands toward heaven. It was a format. It became an integral part of their worship. They were lying out. They worked at it. They lifted their hands. And when a Jew came into the presence of God and he lifted his hands with his palms outward, in essence, he was saying, I surrender. That's what he was saying. It still means that even in military war activity, people who come out with their hands raised, they're saying, I surrender. When you come into the house of the Lord, and when you lift your hands heavenward to him, what you're really saying is from ancient days, I surrender. That's what you're saying. Something happens. Something happens when you do it. You can feel something. You can feel it. You can feel it. Just like you're feeling it. You can feel something wonderful happens. I surrender. How many services have you been in in Pentecost where visitors came into our services, never having been here, came to an altar, kneeling or standing, lifted their hands like this, and the Holy Ghost fall on them, and they begin to speak with tongues. Why? <clears throat> because unknown to them, the gesticulation, the physical posture of expression is saying, I surrender. But the Jew didn't stop there. Once he had said, I surrender, he did something that was pronounced todah. Todah is Hebrew for thank you. Todah rabah means thank you very much. Todah, say it. Todah, say it again. Todah, todah rabah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Todah meant that after you had lifted your hands in yada, then you would turn your palms inward. And when you turned your palms inward, you were saying toda. And the moment you turned your palms inward, you were actually saying, now, God, I'm in a position to receive whatever it is you have for me. That's exactly what they were doing. <clears throat> I was teaching away like this one night. There was a woman on the front seat. She had her hands up like this, palms outward. Do it for me. Just lift your hands, palms outward. She had no idea what I was doing. I came down. I'd never seen her before. Took a hold of her wrist and I forced her palms inward like this. And the moment her hands turned inward, the Holy Ghost fell on her. Unknown to me, she had a disease in her body. God healed her instantaneously, sitting right on the front seat. Just like that. Just like that, she was healed. 
the lame man. The lame man at the gate, beautiful. The lame man at the gate, beautiful, but not sitting there with his palms down like this. He had them cupped up like this. A classic example. In a position to receive something. Expecting to receive something. Expecting, wanting something. Try it. Lift your hands with your palms outward. Outward. Now, now, change from yada to tot to toda. Turn your palms inward. Turn your palms inward. Turn them directly inward. Can you feel it? Something does happen. Something does happen. Something does happen. There is a healing touch of God in this place. The Spirit of the Lord is here to heal right now. You can feel it. There are people that are receiving a healing touch in their bodies. Because you have dared to be obedient, you have dared to worship him in this ancient fashion. Receive it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. But the Jew did not stop there. He would let his hand drop like this below his waist. Then he'd give it this. There was another aspect of Todah. He would go like this. And what he was doing is he was scooping up hands full of glory and he would throw them toward God. He would scoop it up and throw it. I've been in Pentecost 25 years. I've seen little old white-haired saints get in the aisle and give it this, just hooping and hollering, just hooping and hollering. Where did they learn to do that? Who taught them to do that? Who told them that was permissible? But I've watched them do it through the years. And I can remember in my early days in Pentecost coming like this and just have a feeling, just a desire, I don't know why, to turn my hands like this. See, I can hear others have also experienced the same thing because there is something inside of us, some kind of a spiritual instinct that causes us to reach for God. <clears throat> it's unbelievable. Lift your hands again, let your voice out and just worship. There is there's muffled weeping here. There is a groaning, but there's also tremendous joy in this place tonight tremendous joy wonderful wonderful hallelujah Jesus There was another word, 
There was another word pronounced, tahiyya. Tahiyya meant a psalm or a song. The word tahiyya meant to have a song in your heart, soul, on your lips continuously. It meant to continuously praise him. That's why the scriptures say, his praise shall be in my mouth always. His tahiyya shall be in my mouth always. It meant to spontaneously, instantaneously worship him, is what it meant. I have begun to practice in my own life. Every morning when I get up and put my feet on the floor, I throw my hands in the air and say, Good morning, Jesus. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. There ought to be something in us that every day we get up, we ought to begin to rejoice. I really believe the devil would like us to stay in bed. He'd like a lot of us to stay in bed asleep because the moment we get up, the praising starts and the praying starts and the singing begins and you're... You're on the highways, you're in the kitchen, you're making beds, you're running the vacuum cleaner. There's a praise, there's a praise in your mouth continuously. You're singing on the, in the car, you're singing on the job, you're speaking with tongues in the bedroom, you're dancing, dancing in the shower. Why? Because there is a praise in our mouth continuously. The devil is afraid for some of us to get up. He's afraid for you to get up. Because when you do, there is havoc in his kingdom. The moment you get up, his world begins to tremble. His world begins to shake. Everything begins to crumble around him. Can you feel it? Oh, Pentecostal, wake up. Wake up, wake up tonight. If you ever begin to understand what you've got a hold of, you will become a fanatic. You will become a fanatic. If you ever really understand. There was another word. There was another word pronounced dera. Dera meant to bless God from a kneeling position. It was more than just shaha, just kneeling. It was kneeling plus. It was the act of blessing God from that kneeling position. And when they knelt, it meant they adored Him. They revered Him. And they were also worshiping Him for victory. When a Jew knelt in church on his knees and began to worship and bless God from a kneeling position. It meant he was blessing him, adoring him, and it, he was praising him for victory. My first trip to Israel was in 1968, just about a year after the Six-Day War. In the Golden Heights area, there was not a tree standing that, but what was cut in half by machine gun fire. They were still shelling across the borders in Syria. You could hear them at night in the kibbutz where we stayed. I was there the very year after the Six-Day War. And I remember we went through some occupied territories with lots of Arabs. And uh, we were uneasy as tourists because there were, the Arabs were standing along the road in, in, in the streets and they would let the, the bus went by. And it was sort of an unnerving situation. There were so many of them in those long black sheath garments and those white headdresses and those black bands and whatever. 
And it was unnerving. And there were times when I was a little bit uneasy. And just about the time the uneasiness reached a place where I could hardly handle it, we would make a bend in the road. There'd be a jeep load of Israeli soldiers. And they knew that we were uneasy. And those soldiers would flash us a funny little grin and hold up two fingers for victory, just like that. I cannot tell you what that did to me. Just looking at those soldiers, those Israeli soldiers, and seeing them grin at us and hold up two fingers for victory, all this consternation, all this fear, just sort of went out through the bottom of my shoes. It was gone. And I learned a tremendous lesson from them. I thought, devil, from this time on, every time I get a little bit unnerved about you, I'm going to hold up two fingers for victory and flash you a fun little grin because I've got the victory. I've got the victory. We are going to win. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you feel something awesome here? There's something wonderful in this place. Uh, clap again for just a moment and worship the Lord. There's no one here but us. And it's Friday night. It's Friday night. Hallelujah, Jesus. The no another word was pronounced Zamar. I watched the pianist tonight and what I could of the organist. And I was, could really watch the drummer. And they were just tearing up. Beating. Everyone say beating. The word Zamar meant to praise God by playing an instrument by striking your fingers on something. It wasn't enough for them to come and sing and chant and fall out and all of this. They began to take hollow logs and stretch animal skins over leather and tighten it down and then beat rhythms with their fingers. I don't know who played the first drum in their church services, but when they did it, they could feel God. And they knew that he liked this too. He liked this too. So they brought lots of logs and lots of skin and they beat them. And they made harps and they played them and they would beat on tambourines. It was the sister of Moses, Miriam, who went before the host of Israel and she taught us to play the tambourine and to dance in the presence of the Lord. Jehoshaphat sent a choir before his army. Imagine how his enemies mocked and made fun when a choir came out. Not the artillery, not the soldiers, not the sentry, but this choir with tambourines. But God looked down from heaven, and when he saw those Jews worshiping before the host of Israel, God rose from his throne, stepped down out of the heavens, and discomfited the enemy. You know what it means to me? I'll tell you what it means to me. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care who's done what to you, or how big the enemy is, or how ugly the devil is in your life. You can worship your way out of anything. You can worship your way out of anything. You can sing your way out of anything. You can dance your way out of anything. Worship. Worship is the key to everything. Worship is the key to everything. You can worship your way out of it. And I'll tell you why you can. Because the devil, the devil is not wired for worship. 
He's wired for hatred. He's wired for gossip. He's wired for backbiting. He's wired for jealousy. He's wired for gossip. He's wired for all the works of the flesh. And just when he thinks he's got you, you come through the doors and you begin to give it this. And when you begin to give it this, he has to back away because he's not wired for worship. He's not wired for worship. He's wired for trouble. He's wired for trouble. But when you begin to worship, you slip through his fingers. You slip through his fingers. You slip through his fingers. When you begin to worship God. When you begin to dance. You can worship your way out of anything. I don't care how bad it is or how bad it has been. You can worship your way out. He'll make a way. The Syrophoenician woman found that out. He said, you're a dog. It's not fit for me to give you the bread that goes to the children. She said, yea, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus stood to his feet and said, lady, I cannot deny you. You're going to get in before your time. The Gentiles are coming later, but you're going to get it now. And he sent the word and her daughter was healed because worship is the prerequisite to the miraculous. If you will only find the grace to worship if you can only find the grace to worship you will be delivered you will be set free you will be there are people right now they're getting loose there are people right now that the chains are being broken there is a touch of deliverance in this place right now in the presence of the Lord you can call upon his name in worship and in praise in the name of Jesus hallelujah you don't have to leave, leave here tonight laden down. You don't have to leave here heavy in your heart. You don't have to leave here like you came in. You don't have to leave here like that. You can go out in the streets dancing and shouting. You can speak in tongues all the way home in your car. You can clap and sing all night long. Yes, you can. next word is pronounced Shabbat. Shabbat meant to worship God with a loud tone of voice. It meant to shout. So the Jew had it made. He couldn't sing a note. He had a voice. Riding some camel across the sand, see a star and get blessed and shout with his voice. 
I don't know what he said. Maybe, hello, God. I don't know what he said. Hallelujah. But when he shouted with his voice, God fell on it. And so the Jews began to shout in their services. They would shout with their voices. Now leave that one for just a moment and we'll go to the next word which is pronounced mecho. Mecho meant to dance. <laughs> leave that for another minute. But it also meant to clap. It meant to clap. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Somebody got excited somewhere and began to give it this. And God blessed it. So they said, add this to the list. We do this too. <laughs> I can tell that you do. <laughs> I will be the first to admit to you that this is not spirit. But if you put them together in the presence of the Lord as worship unto God, you become spirit. Try it. Can you feel it? You can feel it. Something begins to happen. So now, now let's put it together. Now you can understand why King David said, Now hold your hands and Shabbat with your voice of triumph. He was saying, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Do it again. Clap your hands. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout with your voice unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. I will clap my hands in the presence of the Lord. You're never going to be the same after this one. Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, let's talk about dancing. The word mechol meant, in addition to clapping, it meant to dance before the Lord. Dancing is so much a part of Jewish culture. They have done it for centuries and millennia. 
on desert floors with the stars above them as a ceiling. They have danced. They have the Jerusalem horror. They have the Israeli horror. They have the Yemenite dances that are done expressly and totally as worship unto God. I've watched them do it in Israel. I've watched them do it. It'll cause you to weep. It'll cause you to tremble. It's easy for them. <clears throat> now, I like the demonstration of the Spirit of God in power. I like it. I like nothing better than everything turned upside down. Noses running, people stumbling around, falling out, speaking with tongues. When you cut your head off and throw it to the wind and stop all this analysis and, and, and asking of questions, that's when the miraculous begins to happen, you know. That's when it happens. So, because I like the demonstration of the Spirit of God in power, I've got myself into some difficulties at times in my evangelistic work because I like things to move to move <laughs> and I've had preachers come to me and say oh stone king you just get those people all revved up and psyched up and they get out there and dance in their flesh well what else have you got to dance in <laughs> I mean really it's all God gave me what you see is what you've got I've got two feet I've got hands what else you got to dance in? The Bible does not say that King David danced in the Spirit. It says he danced before the Lord with all of his might. And God liked it. He liked it. A king, a king, a king was in the street dancing. Now, we as Pentecostals are really something. We are really something. We will come to a service like this one. And we'll get blessed, and we'll go out after church tonight and eat or go home or each other's houses or whatever, and we'll say, man, I got a blessing. I shouted tonight. And you didn't shout. You danced. But our terminology is shout. We know when we say I shouted in church, we mean that we danced with our feet. But now visitors don't know that. Or your relatives who have never been here don't know that. They just think you shouted. Why, why don't we get this thing together? You shout with your mouth and you dance with your feet. That's how it really is. At least as far as I know anything about humanity, that's how it is. We dance with our feet, shout with our mouths. Okay? <laughs> and then we do something else too. We come to church and we'll feel God. But we got to make sure that this is really God. Because, you know, we don't want to be criticized for dancing in the flesh. <laughs> I'm fixing to. <laughs> so, instead of us, when we feel the touch of God, instead of us just getting out there and just picking them up and putting them down and worshiping God, we sit on it. <clears throat> Until we get so tanked up that we are at an explosion point. And all of a sudden, we are so tanked that we can't hold another drop. And we let go. Fall over chairs, kick people on the shins, slap people upside the head. <laughs> That's how it happens, too, for all those who are visiting. 
Stick around, you'll see it all. It happens at one time or another. <clears throat> I don't think that's really God. For example, I was in Pennsylvania last year about this time. Had a tremendous meeting in Brother Kitchell's church. There was a farmer that came to this revival, been baptized in Jesus' name, had not received the Holy Ghost. A very quiet man, introverted, shy, like some of you here. <laughs> I've already spotted you. I know where you're sitting. <laughs> this, this man, this man, was he could not get the Holy Ghost. He had prayed up here, didn't get it, and he came back here and sat. And in my way of doing things, I felt to go to him. I went to him. I put my arm around his shoulders, and I began to talk to him and pray with him. And I said, God's going to give you the Holy Ghost. He just spoke to me. You're going to get the Holy Ghost right here. The man began to worship, and he began to speak with tongues, just like that, just like that, fluently. I said, have you done this before? He said, no. I said, keep on doing it. Just keep, keep on doing it. Just keep on doing it. <laughs> well, there was a teenage girl right behind him, and she was tanked. Okay? When I said, he's got the Holy Ghost, she exploded. She began to spin in circles. She came around with one hand. She hit him in the side of the head. And the man, you know, is receiving the Holy Ghost. He doesn't know what the Holy Ghost is all about. He doesn't know if this comes with it or not. You understand what I'm saying? He just doesn't know. The man's eyes flew open, and he looked straight at me. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm so sorry. I said to some of the sisters, I said, come and get her. Drag her out of here, because she was out of control. I want her away from him. Well, they didn't obey. They just let her... I was trying to push her away, and I said, I want you to speak with tongues again. Please worship again. So, because the man just stopped. I mean, someone hits you in the head. I mean, it's going to bring you out of it unless you're really in the spirit. So, he got to speak with tongues again, and, and I forgot about her because I was so thrilled that he was getting the Holy Ghost. And here she came again and hit him on the other side of the head, and he just knocked the Holy Ghost right out of him, so to speak. You understand what I'm saying? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you how it really is. <clears throat> That's not God. That's us. Why don't we just come to church? And why don't we just worship and begin to dance and praise the Lord? Who cares if it's in the flesh, so to speak? I'll admit to you that the first two or three steps may not be spirit, but if you keep picking them up and putting them down in Jesus' name, it'll become spirit. Something will get a hold of you. Something will take a hold of you. <clears throat> I was in upstate New York several years ago. A pastor said to me, Brother Stone King, we have got a church service going in Auburn Prison, which is maximum security prison in New York State. And we'd like to, you to go over there on Saturday morning with us, and we would like for you, we all acted like that once, <laughs> and we'd like you to speak in this service. I said, well, I'd be happy to do it. So we go to this maximum security prison, Auburn, New York. We go through the guards. They take everything away from us but our clothes and Bibles. I mean, they took everything, searched us, went through doors, locks, bars, guards. It was something. 
into an open courtyard with all of these maximum security prisoners playing basketball or whatever. And here we begin to walk through with Bibles in their arms, three or four of us, and they looked like we had looked at us like we had fallen out of outer space, you know what I'm saying? We had to walk clear across this courtyard and they stopped everything and just gazed at us. I was never so glad in my life to get through the door on the other side of this courtyard. You understand that, right? We climbed three flights of stairs and got to this room way in the top of this, this big building and we walked in. I'll never forget this. We walked in. Here in this room were about 50 prisoners, different ages, young men, teenagers, older men, middle-aged men. And uh, the guards came with us and they were posted. There were two doors and they were posted at the doors. And we had 30 minutes to have church. 30 minutes, that's all. It doesn't take God all day to do it. He can do it. 30 minutes. So... <clears throat> The service began. They pulled out a guitar. The guitar had two broken strings on it. And I could perceive that the man was fixing, as you folks say in the South, to pluck the four strings that remained. Another man had two sticks. And again I perceived that he was going to beat these sticks together. Another man brought in a washboard. Use the old-fashioned, you wash and scrub your knuckles and everything else to get the clothes clean. He had a washboard and he had a bent coat hanger and he was fixing to scrape this washboard. And the service started. We began to sing. I'll never forget it. The man tried to tune and tighten those four strings on the guitar. When those prisoners began to sing and those two sticks began to beat together and I could hear that washboard being scraped and that man was plucking out some little tune on those four strings. I turned my face to the wall of that prison room and I began to weep and cry. I said, Jesus, please, please do something for these men in this place today. They sang two choruses. And the pastor introduced me. They turned the service to me. I preached a service about seven or eight minutes long, a very short message. In my way of doing things, I worked with the Holy Ghost very quickly. And the power of God came in that room. The guards are watching this. The young man that led this prayer group was about a 19 or 20-year-old Puerto Rican boy, and he was on the front row. When I came to the conclusion of my little eight-minute message or whatever, I pointed a finger to him and I said, Son, would you like to have what I'm talking about today? He said, Yes, I would. I said, You come very quickly. You're going to get it. That young man stood to his feet, walked to me, and I'm not exaggerating. I laid my hands on his chest, and the man burst out speaking with tongues as the Spirit of God gave him the utterance. The guards are watching. I pointed to the man beside him. I said, would you like to have what he has just received? And the man shook his head. Yes, I said, come right now. You'll get it. This man came. I laid hands upon him. And he instantaneously also received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There was an older man. I pointed to him. And I said, would you, sir, like to have this? He said, yes. He came. It took about four minutes to get him through. But when I suddenly got a hold of him and transmitted faith, the power of God hit him and he began to speak with tongues and I began to cry out, he's got the Holy Ghost, he's got the Holy Ghost. And when the third one got it, the guards slammed the door and took off. And I mean, folks, we had church. For the next 10 minutes, we had church. In that room, the Holy Ghost fell in that room. The power of God fell. 
And when the 30 minutes were up, when the 30 minutes were up, the guards opened the door and said, you'll have to go. But as we were leaving, that young Puerto Rican boy that led that prayer group came running to me. He gave me a little piece of paper. He said, Brother Stone King, here's the telephone number of my mother in Bronx, New York. He said, when you get out of here, would you go to a payphone? Would you call my mother? And would you tell her that her boy has received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? I said, yes, sir, I will. Yes, sir, I will. People, the moment, the moment we got out of there, we found a payphone along the road. We stopped the car. I got out and dialed the number. The voice of a little woman I have never seen even to this day answered on the phone in broken English. And I said, Mother, I'm Brother Stone King. I just came from Auburn Maximum Security Prison. And your boy today received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This little old Puerto Rican mother was a Pentecostal. She dropped the phone it kept bouncing against the wall and I could hear her shouting and dancing all over the kitchen floor people I could hear pots rattling I could hear pans rattling this little mother was shouting she was speaking with tongues she was crying and worshiping God I could hear her dancing on the other end of the phone she never did come back to the phone she never did come back to the phone I hung up listening to a Puerto Rican mother speaking with tongues and shouting in the kitchen of her home in Bronx, New York I've told you all of that to say this it all started with four strings and two sticks and a washboard and a bent coat hanger. You know why? Because God likes it. God likes it. God likes it. He liked the four strings and he liked the two sticks and he liked the washboard and he liked the scraping. If you do it as unto the Lord, God will do something for you. He is attracted to it. He will be drawn to you like a magnet. If you will beat these instruments, if you will play as unto the Lord, if you will pound these symbols. There is a God in heaven tonight that likes it. He will come walking through your midst. He will heal your body. He will touch you if you will dare to strike something. If you will lift your voice. Let's clap again and shout with our voices as unto the Lord. For it is written, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Not despair, but triumph with victory. I'm beginning to come to a close. There's a miraculous touch of God in this place. Yes.
others in this place. Uh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah, Jesus. Uh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus.